In the garden, children play. Fresh petals tease unblemished skin. Young eyes create the universe, unbounded by memory or anticipation. Wordless but for laughter, without definition, all is possible. Stomach full and mind empty, all is blissful. In the fields, the young toil. Backs grow strong with life's labor. Deft hands carry the load of old and new. Love is made to a world of named things. Children born and cared for, tired bodies sleep soundly. In the forest, the old travel, laden with possessions, unknowns regarded with fear. Patterned behavior flows from patterned minds, clinging to good with eyes on salvation. On the mountain, death sits, the world illuminated in blood and fire. Hello, friends. Wednesday morning. Uh, hanging out in the greenhouse. Figured I'd try another little podcast experiment. So that was a poem that I wrote a couple months ago for WatchYourHead.com or .org rather. Um, it's a poem actually that is kind of underpinned um, on Hindu mythology, where they view time as ever cycling, and within each large cycle, there are smaller cycles, um, so the poem is actually written in, 
in that format with four cycles, the first one being the longest and the most pleasant, with the children in the garden. <laughs> and each one gets progressively shorter and progressively towards uh, a balance between light and dark. And finally, it all goes awash in fire to begin again. Um, so, I guess what I had in mind for this morning was um, to kind of share some of my views on, um, uh, I don't know, my underlying philosophy that uh, really came out of a pretty dark period in my time, uh, pretty dark period in my life and um, has really been the seed from which the rest of my life has really grown. Um, that might not be the best analogy, but definitely when I kind of came across these uh, ideas, I was struggling to make sense of uh, just life and the whole absurdity of it. Um, so what I, what I wanted to do was share a little personal experience that I had um, going on, gosh, like seven or eight years now. Uh, essentially, I began taking trips out to the deserts of Utah when I was a freshman in college. Freshman or sophomore. Uh, I don't even really know why I, I left that first time. I just got in the car and I ended up in... Um, Arches National Park at night, and I had no idea where I was, I just kind of drove in at night and uh, slept in the car, and in the morning a park ranger knocked on my door and told me I had to move, so I just kind of pulled in with some other campers and just sleeping in the car. But waking up in that landscape was, uh, was something else, it was like crash landing on another planet. It was like nothing I'd ever seen before in my entire life. and just the, the beauty, the delicate beauty of it was almost too much. Uh, so I've, I've been going back there at least once a year, sometimes twice if I can, to Utah. I've now explored quite a bit of southeast Utah, which if anyone listening has not made a trip down there, you really, uh, really have no idea what it's like until you actually see it with your own eyes. It's, it's amazing. Anyway, um, the experience that I wanted to recount comes from a trip that I made out to the desert, and it was at probably the lowest point <laughs> that I've ever been at. Um, just for whatever reason, I mean, be it chemical, be it just my personal disposition, uh, and I think we all kind of go through this in one, one sense or another, but... I've always just gone on ups and downs, you know, I get, I get depressed where I just don't see the sense in living, <laughs> and uh, then at other times I'm just on top of the world, and this uh, trip really came at one of those, probably the lowest of those first types. Uh, I was just not really happy with anything that I was doing in my life, and for whatever reason I just had a lot of anxiety. Uh, it was... It was kind of shortly after 9-11, actually, maybe a couple years after, maybe a year or so, and I had just kind of been uh, 
discovering some of the like 9-11 truth uh, materials, I guess. Uh, things like loose change, which is really the first thing that I saw, and then kind of delving deeper into that and realizing, you know, without question that uh, the world as we want to believe it is, is is really just wool pulled over our eyes to uh, keep us from rising up against uh, the control that is just really ratcheted down on us. Um, this is kind of getting off topic. It's not really my intention to uh, go too much into that kind of thing. Uh, I think all of us are kind of aware of that on some level, whether or not we've delved completely into it. I just wanted to kind of bring that up as one of the reasons for my depression at this time. Um, so just that anxiousness of feeling like life was a nightmare that I couldn't wake up from. You know, there was really a fear of being drafted. I think I was like 23 or 4 and just, I mean, the whole Bush era kind of mindset was not a very pleasant one. Um, just those kind of little, you know, life-altering things. But on top of that was just this anxiety. And I didn't know where it came from, but it was, it was really pretty intense. Um, just feeling unsettled like perpetually and uh, I remember driving out to Utah and just being very concerned for the first time ever about you know rocks rolling down the hill <laughs> and crushing me and you know just really realizing how precariously the whole world is really balanced and just how how uh, I don't know, futile the whole pursuit is. So with that as kind of a long-winded um, backdrop, uh, it kind of sets the stage for my story. Um, going out into the desert was, you know, a couple, couple years uh, after that first trip, and going out there just with a head that was just a mess. I mean, a quaking mess of anxiety and fear and really just discontent. And I went out to the desert and. Um, I mean, kind of what the desert is for me is just a place that I can be completely alone and so can feel able to really just open myself up in whatever sense or in whatever way that I, that I need to. Uh, in those early days, it was a lot of just overwhelming uh, awe at just the beauty of, of life and the surroundings and just you know, I, I cried and <laughs> screamed and just, you know, went, just let myself pour out in every direction that I needed to. Um, and this particular trip, nothing felt right, just I felt completely wrong in every way possible. And I went out into the, the landscape a bit, hiked away from the car, and just kind of got into where I normally would kind of go, just kind of off off-beaten trail into the into the landscape and I sat down and this was kind of at the beginning of my foray into Eastern thinking it was really right after my very first introduction to that through Joseph Campbell and uh, his book um, The Inner Reaches of Outer Space I believe it was or it might have been Myths to Live By I think it was Myths to Live By and he had a passage that was about the Kundalini Yoga, which this was my first introduction to it. 
and essentially uh, the Kundalini, which means serpent power, is this, uh, it was developed kind of later in the whole uh, uh, tradition. It was kind of a highly psychological um, meditation that involves uh, bringing what is known as the Kundalini serpent power up the spine. So from a seated position, uh, starting at the bottom chakra, muladhara, um, imagining this power, and it's and it's you know having had some exposure to this now, I can say without reservation that this is a psychological meditation. It's not. No one's saying that this really exists. I mean, it does if you decide it does. That's kind of the, the underlying theme here. But uh, introducing this idea of, um, you know, bringing this energy up from the root base, which is actually at the base of the anus, really, um, where, you know, if you're seated, kind of where you're rooted to the ground, and really from that animalistic kind of base level, kind of bringing your consciousness up into... Uh, increasingly higher orders of awareness that all are linked to um, different modes of the psyche. And I, I really didn't start out um, right now talking with the intent of addressing the Kundalini in depth. Uh, if I were going to do that, I'd probably kind of refresh myself a little bit or have some materials in front of me so I could give a, a better exposition of it. But it's something that's worth reading about and thinking about. It's, it's kind of interesting. Uh, I only bring it up because this was kind of my first introduction on this trip to um, those types of ideas. So for the first time really in my life, I think, I sat with the intention of meditating. Uh, I don't think I had ever actually meditated prior to this, besides maybe just a kind of half-out, half-understood um, you know, seated mockery almost of the, the whole idea, whatever that means. So I went out and I sat really for the first time um, and seated there out in the wilderness, out in this rugged desert landscape. Uh, it was off the Cocapelli Trail, so you know, pretty far in the backcountry. I hadn't seen another person or vehicle the entire time, so I was really on my own. And I had done this a number of times, I and mean, I've always been just kind of a solitary explorer, but for whatever reason, like I said, my mind on this trip was just so bent out of shape, and I had so much anxiety, and I just felt this, like, um, this constant line of thought in my head just asking, like, what are you doing out here? Uh, no one knows you're here. This is dangerous. You know, you should just go home. Uh, there could be wild animals out here, you could trip and fall in one of these gorges, or any number of things could happen to you, like what are you doing? And I just had this anxiety, and really my, uh, my first urge was just to, to run back home, to, to give in to that anxiousness, and just kind of, <laughs> you know, revert back to the fetal position and suck my thumb, <laughs> so to speak. But, uh... I really uh, was was close to doing that. I had just uh, smoked a bowl, and so that does not uh, make me any calmer, that's for sure. Marijuana never really calms me down. It always just spins my mind up. Um, it's always been one of the most powerful 
spiritual um, tools that I've ever come across, you know, that I've ever used. So, but at the, at the same time, I mean, it makes me very anxious. So to be already anxious and then to be out in this environment and then um, to get pretty high and to just be out there, uh, I was I was an absolute wreck. Um, but I was seated there, and I don't know exactly how it how it started, but I basically came to this this decision that I was going to go into whatever I was feeling headlong, that I wasn't going to run. And this came amidst just a, a firestorm really in my mind of just terrible thinking and just very negative. I, you know, I've, if I was ever like truly, you know, suicidal or, you know, just ready to call it quits, this is probably it. But kind of realizing that and realizing that if that was the case I had nothing to lose I just said I'm you know I'm going into it and it was kind of interesting I had a throughout this whole experience I had a almost a a split um, split consciousness I guess I mean there was the me that was going through it and then there was the me that was kind of disconnected and just kind of watching and really coaching myself through the entire experience uh, talking to myself the whole time, uh, all in my head, you know, eyes closed, seated. But basically, um, how it started was eyes closed, seated in the desert. Uh, I started to hear sounds around me, like the sounds of animals or something, like stepping on stepping on twigs or bushes rustling or something to that effect. Uh, it really, it really sounded like there were animals around me and as I, as I had said I mean I was kind of acutely aware that there could be you know predators out there and I was just out on my own and so in my mind I decided I was gonna let all of those sounds each one be a mountain lion to be a predator and I just sat there resolutely and uh, just a, a total mess I mean I, I was a mess, but there was a, a voice in my head, my own voice, just coaching me through this, and it said, if you're going to be afraid, be afraid. Let's bring out everything that we know about fear, or everything you know about fear. It was really kind of a talking to myself, just a, you know, you're afraid, let's bring out everything that we know about fear. <laughs> you know about fear. And uh, that's exactly what I did. I, I let the the noises be predators until in my mind I was surrounded on all sides by these just you know beasts that were going to devour me and I brought out everything that I could think of that that made me afraid I thought of you know the state of the world and being drafted or you know the whole idea of the Bush era total war I mean how corrupt everything was I mean I just I brought that out I brought out losing you know everything that I that I love. I mean, basically just killing myself a hundred times over. Uh, one of my longest ongoing, I guess, phobias. I don't really know what you'd call it, because it's not like a fear, like something that I can think about and it makes me unsettled. Well, anyway, of of needles, basically. Ever since I was a kid, like to have a needle stuck in my arm has just been. Uh, I mean, I used to just black out at 
at, um, at having my blood taken or something like that because the thought of having a steel tube puncture my skin and entering, you know, an, uh, an artery through which blood flowed and, like, you know, injecting liquids into my body, my vascular system. Just kind of the idea of, you know, our bodies being these <laughs> organic machines, kind of, and just how absurd and precarious it is. Uh, so, so that needle fear, I mean, in, in this time, bringing out everything that I knew about fear, I, I stuck needles in, in my arms, in every, in every vein. Not literally, just like sitting there psychologically, I, I brought out that fear as much as I possibly could, just, you know, thinking about those thoughts that I don't like thinking about. And I brought it out, and I brought it out, and I brought it out, until I was, I mean, if I was a mess before, I was definitely a mess then. And I found that pushing that fear to the to the farthest, there came a point where it was almost like coming up against the wall and then passing through it, but really passing from just complete and utter fear into sadness. Um, I felt after after killing myself a hundred times over mentally in my head with all of the things I was afraid of. Um, really what I what I found was sadness and it was just a sadness that life is the way that it is and all things are ultimately lost and all of these horrible things that I was fearing were legitimate fears that they were you know real that life should be this way and I just found this this deep sadness and there was still that voice uh, my own voice in my head coaching me that said all right so sadness, let's bring out everything that we know about sadness. And so from this, this quaking fear, there was a distinct change into this sadness and in bringing out all of the things that made me saddest, which I did in the same way as the fear. You know, I thought about, uh, you know, when my pets had died or thinking about having my parents die or, you know, losing Kayla or... I mean, just just all of the sorrow in the world, everything that I knew about about sadness is what I brought to the front of my mind, and I pushed it, and I pushed it as far as I possibly could until I was, I mean, just weeping, <laughs> like uncontrollably weeping. Uh, I mean, in, the, in this moment, I really had, you know, killed everything that I loved. Uh, everything was lost. That was, that was really the ultimate sadness, was just realizing that everything was lost. And so, at, the, at this point, just, you know, in this, this heavy, heavy sadness and realizing that everything was lost, there came another, another transformation. And all of this was just, I mean, it just happened. And I, you know, looking back now, I can analyze it. But in the experience itself, I mean, it just, this just kind of happened organically, I guess, is that, you know, from this fear came this sadness that there should be such fear. And in that sadness, uh, you know, having lost everything, there came a point where, where the tears became tears of joy. I think we all kind of know how similar, you know, laughing and crying are. Uh, the, the emotions, those two emotions, as, as different as they seem, really do share a common, a common line, a common border. And when I got to that border, when I had when I'd pushed sadness as far as I could possibly take it, I found this this joy and it was almost uh, 
a liberating joy in that because everything was lost, because my parents would die and everyone I loved would die and I would die and everything was ultimately lost, there was nothing to be done about it. There was, there was no way to go around that. There was no way to change that. And so the joy was just the liberation of realizing that there was nothing that needed to be done to, to save anything. Um, again, this is one of these things, I mean, I've had many years now to, to look back on this experience and kind of put all these uh, interpretations on top of it. This, this was not necessarily the interpretation that I had when the experience was actually happening. It was more just the, the going through these emotional states, one after the other. But uh, there it was. So from this, this deep sadness came this liberating joy. And in the same way, uh, just kind of surprised at being there, uh, I, I had that same, my own voice in my head coaching me and said, okay, joy, let's bring out everything that we know about joy. And it was the same kind of digging through memories and digging through the contents of, of my life and mind and, and pulling out all of the things that made me happiest. And it was being with friends and it was, to a large extent, you know, being bestowed gifts, you know, like Christmas time or birthdays, you know, getting something or, you know, just being filled up, just being, uh, just, <laughs> I don't know, all, all, of the, all of those moments in my life that I was happiest. And a lot of it was being people or, or being with people or, you know, those moments of extreme just pleasure, you know, having been given pleasure from whatever, whatever uh, stimulus it might be. And in the same way, I, I kept digging out these, these memories and just laying them out in front of myself until my entire consciousness had transformed from that, that deep sadness into this joy and then just pushing that joy uh, as far as I possibly could. And again, in the same way, uh, that joy pushed as far as it could, um, came up against another another barrier that it, it crossed, and it wasn't a barrier as much as a, uh, and this is again my interpretation now, but I mean, this continuum of, continuum of emotions, these motions that seem, you know, uh, distinctly different, they're all in a continuum, so they all share and overlap. They all, they all, they all hold their borders in common. So having pushed joy as far as I possibly could with these memories of childhood and you know long summers and uh, you know new toys, whatever it may be, just you know this joy, uh, I came to a a distinct point where I was so full of just utter joy and immense joy that I couldn't that I couldn't hold it in, and so it came back out. And again, you know, in, in tears and just like this exuberance, it came out. And in that, in that return of the, the joy that I had within myself in, in letting it out, I really, at that point, crossed another threshold into what I could only really term love. And it, it was totally distinct from joy. I mean, it shared the same border, but it was a different feeling. Joy, to me... Again, in, in retrospect, the, the joy was this being filled, you know, being, having things bestowed upon, having pleasure or having, 
you know, ecstasy bestowed, and the love was giving it back. The love was getting it to the point that you can't hold on to it, and then giving it back. And in the same way, uh, my, the voice in my head coaching said, all right, love, let's bring out everything that we know about love. And in the same way, brought out memories of, you know, my mom and dad and my sister and my family and just everybody that I loved, my friends and Kayla and the, the whole, every, you know, every experience that I'd ever had in my life just came flooding back out in this, this wash of love. And... It was, it was that, that getting and giving back. And, I mean, as an experience, this was so overwhelming and intense that now trying to find words to really convey what it felt like is... Uh, I'm, I'm grasping at straws here. I just hope that you can kind of use your, imagine, or your imagination and um, really kind of just think about <laughs> just filling yourself up with love, really. Um, just, just bringing it out and pushing it and pushing it and pushing it until literally my entire psyche was love. There was no other emotion. I mean, that was one of the, the crazy things about this whole experience is that at each of these stages, there was nothing else. I mean, there, there, was, there was barely even a concept of there being anything else. But in that moment, the, whatever it was that was being experienced was total. I mean, there was nothing else. So in the same way, I mean, love, just, just bringing it out and bringing it out and bringing it out until I came to a point where I, I almost dissolved, like the, the border between myself and, and the outside world had really just kind of broken down. I mean, everything was being given to me and everything was being given back. I mean, all of myself was being given back in, you know, however whatever that means I mean that was the feeling it was just like this constant flow in and out just to the point that there there was no in and out it was just this one flow and at that point I kind of crossed into another threshold which uh, you know now I've termed peace and that's that's what it was I mean it was this complete dissolution of myself as separate and it was just the utter peace of being one with everything. I mean, it sounds so trite. It really does. It sounds so cliche. It's the kind of stuff that we hear all the time from mystics and, you know, hippies or whatever. But that is really what I experienced on this day was this unification for the first time in my life of myself with everything in this peace. And there, there, there wasn't even emotion anymore. It wasn't even like about myself feeling anything. It was just this being, and being totally perfect in every way. I mean, being, you know, not, not a stone was at a place in the universe. Not a thought, not a breath, nothing. I mean, everything just being this total experience that I was not subject to and not controlling, but just completely reciprocal, you know, ingrained in. That it was me and I was it type of a thing. And peace peace filled my entire psyche and up until this point my eyes had been closed this had just been completely like meditative in my mind and it it really did feel like an ascension I mean from just that that cave of fear with animals surrounding me and needles in my arms and just you know hell is the depths of hell though the farthest low I've ever been I mean at each of these it was an ascension it didn't feel like uh, kind of the way that it sounds like the, the kundalini or one of those types of things would feel. It wasn't like in my body. 
that I was feeling these different stages. It was my entire plane of existence was just increasingly ascending to the point where when I was at that, that peaceful stage, I was not here. You know, I was not on planet Earth. It was, it was just a continuum of light and energy or whatever horrible, useless terms I have right now to try and convey that feeling. But up until this point, my eyes had been closed and this had all just been internal. And at this point, in feeling this total peace, and with the peace, it, it was the first time that I didn't need to bring anything out. Because when I was there, there, there was nothing to bring out. There was, there was, there was nothing. <laughs> there, there was only everything. And at that point, opening my eyes and seeing that landscape, the same landscape that I had sat down in, you know, it was maybe 20 minutes before, that was just this scary, unsettling, unpleasant place, opening my eyes in the same environment, but seeing it from this station of, of peace. Uh, I mean, in looking back, the only word that I really have to describe it is beauty. And that's what I saw everywhere. It was just this world as a living thing that is touching at all points and is every one of us as we are it. And just the beauty of it was, was overwhelming. Um, <laughs> and that really was my... I mean, it definitely wasn't my first what I would call mystical experience. Um, I, I had had a couple earlier in my life that really kind of got me on the path that I that I was that I'm still walking, or I don't know. Not I mean that, that's I don't even like that analogy because it implies some sort of a, a linear transformation. But um, this really was the first time that I had experienced what I've now experienced a couple other times on you know various days, uh, be it under meditation or just. Uh, mushrooms or whatever it is but but seeing that that world uh, for the for the for the first time really uh, to reiterate to reiterate just the the steps and again uh, again 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 this was not something that I really fully understood during the experience or even immediately after the experience I mean it's taken months and and years really to kind of look back on this event and kind of piece together now this little story that I can recite <laughs> that tries to convey what it meant to me but because um, at the time there, there really weren't as many words for it as I have now it was just like this transcendent emotional um, experience but I see it as having gone from fear to sadness to joy to peace to beauty and um, in thinking about this, I think the the lesson that I that I learned most from this is that how we feel and how we see the world is really dependent on our own psyche and nothing else. I mean, there are things that influence us, but it is our choice <laughs> that is. It is our, it is our own doing that determines how we are and how we're feeling. So anytime that we feel anxious or we feel 
a way that we don't particularly like feeling. Um, it's not something that is being imposed on you by the world. It's something that, for whatever reason, you yourself have have chosen to an extent. This is, I'm, I'm doing a poor job expressing this this idea. It's it's really something. It's more of a feeling, but just the realization that it's not us with the world happening to us. It's that we're happening and the world is the result. It's the idea that on a sunny day, the world seems happy. And it's not because the world is happy, it's because you're happy and that makes the world happy. <laughs> um, I, I don't really know how to express this. I, I hope that you have some inkling of what I'm getting at here, but we are not slaves or we are not at the mercy of the world. The world is really the, the product of us participating in it. So why feel anxious? You know, why, why feel anything but how you choose to feel? Uh, I mean, with this arrow in my quiver, I have gone into experiences that I would never have imagined that I could, that I could participate in. Uh, and it, it kind of comes to a head in the phrase that anyone who knows me well knows me that, or knows that this is, I mean, <laughs> this is my, this is my motto, if anything, but the idea of being here now, be here now. When we think that there are, you know, if you think that there is sadness and joy and fear and all these things all at the same time, you're wrong because there is only how you're feeling now and the rest is just a concept. Uh, you, you can change how you feel, you can start thinking about things, you can think about things that make you happy and, and the emotion changes, but they don't, they don't exist independently. Uh, a great little Buddhist um, koan, I guess, or just a little, little saying is that spring does not become the summer nor does summer become the fall. First there is spring, then there is summer. Each stays in its own place. And in the same way, uh, the different emotions don't necessarily become each other. They are completely self-contained, uh, uh, I mean, like I said, when I was in those moments of ecstasy, there was nothing but ecstasy. There was no sadness, there was no fear. There is only ever what is happening in this moment. And, and from that, I think, comes a great, great power. I mean, in the summer, you don't have to worry about the winter. I mean, it, it, it definitely is a strength of humans to know and predict and prepare. However, if you're anxious about the winter, you're not doing anything to prepare. You're just making yourself feel bent out of shape. And in the same way, if you, if you can really come to what is in the present moment, you'll realize that it's just you creating everything. I mean, you and the world really share all borders and everything else is just the content of your mind. And if you want to feel happy, you can feel happy. If you want to feel sad, you can feel sad. But in the moment, there is only what is. Um, so I guess with that, uh, I, I don't feel that I did a, a terribly 
excellent job at conveying this concept. It's it's one of those things that really just can't be talked about outright. Uh, to me, and again, this is saying too much, and I mean, it's saying not enough and saying too much all at the same time, but for me, this is the, the foundation of my understanding of of Zen and those kind of concepts is it's it's not not thinking outright and it's not necessarily thinking about concepts and you know pre premeditating them into existence it's just that feeling or whatever it is it's it's that all encompassing reality that we can find ourselves in when we disconnect the the con- the conceptualization of the world from the world and really just be here now <laughs> be here now uh, so i guess that that kind of concludes my little story uh, I just share it because I think it's interesting. Um, in the in the past, sharing the story, I've become acutely aware that it almost sounds as if it's a uh, kind of an ego trip, you know, like I, I did this, I went through this, and that's really not my intention at all. Uh, I think anyone and everyone is capable of exactly that, um, whether or not people choose to put themselves in the in the in the conditions for that type of thing to arise but um, yeah so th- that's just a, a little story that I wanted to share I, I kind of want to get into the habit of making these little podcasts for whatever reason uh, I find that when I get talking about these kinds of topics I I ramble and for anyone unfortunate enough to be subjected to my ramblings it can get pretty one-sided anyway, so maybe this is a good uh, a good outlet because I can just spew forth whatever is rising up without having to uh, necessarily directly subject anybody. Uh, you can always pause me or turn me off. But uh, I thought that this was a good little story to kind of preface um, whatever uh, podcast might follow because uh, it kind of lays the, the foundation of that, that one that one theme that I think is is the theme that I'd most like to convey, and it is to to be here now, to separate the thoughts in your head, or not even separate, but just realize that the thoughts in your head are only thoughts. Uh, you know, everything is real if you decide it is, but on the same sense, nothing is real if you don't. So be here now, and make now... <laughs> Make now what you want it to be.